Psalm 25. So we'll read through all 22 of these verses. There's uh, like an acrostic set up like an acrostic in the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse starts with a next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so we'll read all 22 of these verses here and uh, kind of a, a collection, a compilation of these, these prayers to God by David. So Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he'll show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins." Consider mine enemies, for they're many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Our Father, this is such a comforting and an encouraging song to know that you're a God of mercy and goodness and uprightness and that your thoughts toward us are just completely good and helpful all the time. And so I pray that you'll continue to use the Psalms that were written a few thousand years ago now. Use them in 2019 as we, as we not just learn about David or not just learn about circumstances, but get a better glimpse of you. And, and your character and your qualities and everything that you desire for us. I know that you have never changed. And so may we serve you with a better understanding of you and in a, in a greater understanding of your grace this morning. Thank you, dear God, for giving us so much. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I believe my greatest, my personal greatest contribution to Calvary Baptist Church. I've been here nine years, okay? Full-time staff, you know, full-time spending hours and hours on all kinds of churchy duties. We're doing all kinds of things around the church all the time, maintenance, all. It. My greatest contribution to Calvary Baptist Church 
I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything, but you know when the computers freeze up sometimes? And the network doesn't quite work, and the TV kind of glitches, or the projector won't come on quite right, or it won't show the, uh, the picture. I think my greatest contribution to Calvary Baptist Church, the most long-lasting impact I'll ever make, is in the area of tech support by giving this advice. Did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in again? Because <laughs> that fixes all the problems of Calvary Baptist Church. All around, everywhere we go, if there's some kind of technical glitch or technical need, it's on the staff guy to take care of it and fix it, and that's always my go-to advice. And if that doesn't work, then it's like, oh, I've got to check my supervisor with this one. And they check in the cubicle next door, and Saheed comes back with, here, try this. Turn it off and turn it back on again. That's the next level, that's the next level tech support <laughs> right there. And that's when I come out with my good old standby of the reset, man, it works almost every time. My dad's standby is, man, let's punch this computer. I'm so sick of this thing, and I can't believe it. It makes some offhand remark about a stupid Apple products and this stupid company, and I can't believe anybody. Uh, Google, I hate Google. I hate everybody, you know. <laughs> Give me a bigger hammer. I'll fix this problem right now. And we think that's the way to handle it. But my standby, my standby is, hey, let's, let's just reset this, all right? Let's turn it off and turn it back on again. Brother Jared works uh, as like a dispatcher, as one of his many jobs for hundreds of jack-in-the-box restaurants. There was one in town here that had gone down. I think it was their fryer that had gone down. And so uh, many times they call in, oh, we've got, a, we've, got a, we've got an urgent issue. We've got an urgent request. You need to send somebody. So he dispatches a maintenance man while he's on his way. He's talking to him on the phone. This was just last week, maybe a couple weeks ago. Did you check the breaker box? Yeah, yeah, we checked it. We checked it. Are you sure it's not just a breaker that, that tripped? No, no, we're sure. We checked it. Okay, are you being honest with me? Did you actually open up the door, click it over, and click it back again? Yeah, we tried that, and it's not working. And so he happened to be in town. It happened to be one of these Temecula locations, and he pulls up, goes into the, the panel box, opens up the little door, clicks it over, clicks it back on, and beep, 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 the friars come to life. And it's a miracle. He is a magician. He is a magic maker. He is amazing. So he calls his maintenance guy in a heroic voice, you know. I have fixed it. You don't need to come anymore. He's feeling like Superman. Maintenance guy goes, did you just flip the breaker? He goes, no, I completely rebuilt the entire fry system, you know. It was a very difficult task. I had a hard time doing that. All right, it was a breaker. I admit it. The theme of my conference last week was resetting your walk with God. And sometimes we need to come to those moments in life where it's just like, you know what, let's just, let's just switch the breaker off and back on again. And let's restart. Let's get a fresh new take at this. And let's go one more, one more time, one more day. And so over and over between me and the other preacher, it was, hey, let's reset our relationship with God. Starting this week, not worried about the past, what you've done in the past, but going forward, let's reset our relationship with God. Or let's reset our prayer life in a sermon on resetting your friendships, in a sermon on resetting just, just going forward in discipline and actually keeping these reset commitments. And I think some people hear about what church people do and they think that they're going to have to 
be a church person before when they're outside of a Baptist church and they look at, you know, people that are kind of dressed up weird. And I don't know if I could do that. And they bring a kind of Bible I'm not really into. And they they have a lot of services and, and some churches don't have that many. And they're they're you know, they're they're expected to give and love their enemies. Even I mean, I could never do that. I don't know if all this Christianity stuff is really hard and somebody from the outside might look at it as if thinking that if I gave my life to God, he's just going to mess it up and take away all my freedoms and I'll never have a good time again in the rest of my life. And friend, I want to tell you, there's nothing further from the truth. There's no way that God could mess your life up. That we do pretty good by ourselves. The, the, the most joyous and precious people I know are the ones who are the most surrendered to Jesus Christ. And the ones who are most full of peace, the, most, the, the least anxious, we could say, that was in the song that we sang just earlier, are those that are they're not peaceful and they're not joyful because of the circumstances of what their lives are made of, but on who their eyes are on. They're, they don't have a great life because of what they've done to make it happen. It's because they serve a great God. And the ones who really get that, the teens who really get that and go into life are set up for life. And what we always tried to preach as a youth pastor was that, man, serving God is the best life you can have. I'm not talking about full-time ministry. I'm just talking about what all of us can be and do as Christians. I'm on the other side now of what was a pretty strict uh, home growing up. I'm looking at what some people might have considered sheltered and thinking you'd have no fun or thinking it's going to be a pretty restrictive place to be. And I took all kinds of ribbing as a high schooler and as a junior higher and as a pastor's kid. Raised in my dad's home, none of my friends, uh, uh, I didn't know when they were talking about a movie. It's like, I don't know who Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, you know, uh, Mel Gibson, that's, those were the big guys when I was in high school. I knew Arnold Schwarzenegger, but, you know, everyone knew him, I guess. But I hadn't seen any new movies newer than, you know, 1955. So all my childhood heroes, you know. Hey, have you guys seen this great movie? It's got this young guy named Cary Grant. And they're like, who? You know, and they're like, John Wayne. Have you seen the John Wayne movie? No, I, you know, never, I've never even heard of that guy. And, and so our, our, our heroes were Humphrey Bogart and James Cagney and Audrey Hepburn, and Catherine Hepburn, and those were the names that we know, Clark Gable and Dean Martin. We even tried some pretty terrible Elvis Presley movies. You know, I, I never knew Elvis was dead. I thought he was still living. No. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're raised in this mentality that some might think is so limited and sheltered and different, and maybe there were a lot of rules, and you think I'm pretty messed up, and partially that's, yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. There's some truth to that. Wrench family is a little bit crazy, but... I blame genetics more than upbringing on that one. <laughs> we look at on the other side of being raised under scriptural values and, and a really tight environment of what my parents raised us in, then we kind of sensed that it was all for scriptural reasons. We kind of sensed that if the movie was starting to get vulgar, then we just shut it off. And it would, if there was anything vulgar, if there's anything suggestive in it, then it was turned off and it was no big deal. It was just the way that it was. And I'm on the other side of that now, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate what was, what was inculcated into us as kids. And I, I now am on the other side where some people might have looked at rules and restrictions as if that was so limiting that it will drive people away and that it will drive children away. I'm on the other side of it saying, look, I think we had a pretty good upbringing. 
I think when scriptural values with a heart of grace behind it is, is there, then it's like, now we have, uh, you know, our siblings in town. My younger brother was just here a couple weeks ago. Vacations we take together. My sister was playing the piano this morning. My brother's back on the sound booth teaching an adult Sunday school class. It's like we like being around each other. And we like being up at my parents' house. And the godly principles were kind of going, huh, I guess that kind of worked. And, and it's, like, it's like I love being around these things. And the rules themselves weren't a bad thing. And, and yet sometimes we look at a reset, and I want to reset my walk with God. Sometimes we think it's going to be too hard, it's going to be too restrictive, it's going to hurt me. And yet you talk about the peace and the joy that we're experiencing now on the other side of what some people might think is too restrictive. And I say, no, when it's done the biblical way, I think it can work. You might say it's too, it's too restrictive, or you might be on the other side saying, you know what, I'm too far gone, I could never reset my walk with God, I'm so far down the path that I could never get close to him again. I'm too scared and I don't know if I could do that. Listen, if you're expecting this Christian life to be about what you do or what your family does, then you're missing what it is. You're missing that it's not a work of humans to produce a godly family. It's a work of God. That was what resetting your walk with God was over and over about. They had skits with Reset Man where these kids would fail in a situation. They'd push the reset button and try it again. But many times they would keep failing and the youth pastor finally showed up and said, No, give your heart to God. Reset your heart to God and let him do the change that's in, inside of you. Maybe that's the difference between religion and relationship with Jesus is that religions teach that it is on me to change. It is on me to grow. It is on me to produce godliness inside of myself. And so I was just reading a book about the Catholic youth and, and, and all that they had to do. And we've had missionaries come in. Some of you have Catholic backgrounds where it's like you knew which priest you were going to go talk to because he wouldn't give you as much penance or he wouldn't make you do as many things. Or you're in school with this guy, so you go to the next town to do your confession so he doesn't know exactly what you have done. And, and, and you think this is, this is what Christianity is, is that I've got to pay for my sins. I've got to confess my sins. I've got to do enough good deeds in order to overcome my sins. I've got to perform the golden rule. I've got to buy certain beads. I've, I've, I've got to... I've got to do so much that hopefully in the end my good will outweigh my bad. And religion teaches that all of my destiny is dependent on me. My acceptance to God is dependent on me. And again, there's nothing further from the truth. There's, there's an impossibility. There's, there's no amount of ornamentation that we can add into our lives that will make us acceptable to God. We've given a booklet out here at our church called Done. And most religions will be about doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. But Jesus said on the cross, no, 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 it is finished. And when the, when the, the, the malefactor, the thief that was on the cross beside Jesus said, uh, one of them said, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other guy spoke up, rebuked him, said, dost thou not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And then he looks over at Jesus and said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. If religion were a religion of do, then he would have released him from the cross and said, Now go perform some acts before you can make it to heaven. But Jesus said, On the cross to that thief who was paying for his own sins on the cross, that he couldn't do nothing 
it was too late for him to do anything to serve God. Jesus said, oh yeah, today you'll be with me in paradise. A relationship with Jesus is not about doing. Salvation is a work of God and not man. To save yourself would be a source of pride, but to recognize that my sin compared to the holiness and perfection of God is absolutely dark. There's no way I could do it myself. There's no way. It must be by the grace of God. It must completely be by his work. And it must, man, if that's, if that's what Jesus has done for me, then, then yeah, there's no amount of payment I could come up with that could pay for my darkness, the darkness of my own heart. There's no amount. And if you're, ex- if you're expecting your good deeds to outweigh your bad, you're going to come up short every single time. For all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. There's no way you can make it into the presence of God with that, with that sin that's inside. The beauty of the gospel is that it's done. It's not about do, do, do. It's all been done by Jesus Christ. And yet even as Christians sometimes, you say, I've accepted that. I believe that. I repented of my sins. When I was young, I gave my life to God. I was born again. That's the Bible term for being saved. It has several different terms for it, but it's a moment in time where you placed your faith in Christ. Jesus said, Paul said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's not about doing anything. It's a belief that Jesus has already done it. And yet you say, if I've done that, well, how come Christians still sin? And if David was such a great guy, then, then how come he still sinned and he reaped the, the, the hardships of his sin? As close as David was to God, he even recognizes in this psalm that even what we might consider, well, that's a good person, that's a good guy, David's a good guy, and we might think of Christians like they're a good guy. Psalm 25 is not going to be a full deep dive into this psalm. But we know that he went through, even as a, a, a man after God's own heart, he went through these, these moments of being so far from God that he needed these reset times in his life. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered so he could marry her. And we're talking about the, the darkest part of his life. He might be looking back. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written. But he says, remember not the sins of my youth, perhaps thinking back to the times in his past when he failed. He says, my enemies are besetting me. This could be at the moment when Absalom is chasing him and trying to kill him and all this upheaval in the royal kingdom and, and the, he, he kicked him out of his kingdom and he's, he's on the run for his life. And he says, if David's going through that, then maybe he needs this. This is... This is kind of written by him, before him, and, and, and written to God. And here's what he says in verse number four. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. I want to reset my walk with God. I want, to, I want to flip the switch and flip it back over again. God, would you stop letting me do life on my own, but can I follow your ways instead? I think they always work out better that way. And, and show me thy ways. In verse five, lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Psalms is is replete, and Proverbs is too, of just describing this life as a way, or a journey, or a path. This, this, 
this walk with God that we are to take. And many times we come up to these crossroads moments where we have to choose between good and evil. There's like a right and a wrong path. And David's asking God, God, I'm not smart enough to know the difference sometimes. And I come between these crossroads and I'm too weak in my own flesh to make the right decision. So God, please show me thy way. And, and show me the truth and guide me in the truth. It's this heart of desire to know God and to walk with God. And he wants to reset his walk with God. In verse 6, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. God, this is about you, not me. Remember not the sins of my youth, verse 7, nor my transgressions. He throws it back on God, according to thy mercy. Remember me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. God, when I'm walking down my, my path of life, I know there's going to be those moments, those times where I meet the crossroads. I know between good and, uh, and evil, and I choose evil. And so, God, don't hold that against me. For your sake, for your own goodness' sake, you've told me you're a merciful God. You've promised that you're good to me. You've promised that you express goodness to me. And so... I don't know why, dear God, I, I don't know why you would choose to forgive me in my sin. I don't know why you would be merciful. I don't deserve it, but I'm kind of banking on your mercy now, God. According to thy mercy and thy truth and thy loving kindnesses. God, you're so kind to me and you're so wonderful to me. But that, what, what opponents to Christianity and what opponents to people who've given their lives to God have always said, going all the way back to uh, uh, the days of the Reformation and the, the, the Catholic stranglehold upon the, the whole world, basically, what we're learning on Wednesday nights is that they ruled with an iron fist to make people fear messing up or else God would, would, would destroy them. And, and this idea of grace that God would unconditionally forgive sinners. They said, if you serve a God like that, that would unconditionally serve sinners. And Paul even dealt with this in, this, in his day. Should we sin? Should we just sin like crazy so that grace may abound? Because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so what are we saying? What are we saying? Should we, should we just say, if God gets glory by forgiving people, then should we just sin like a crazy person and just say, oh, God will forgive me? Is this a license to sin? Is this, is this presuming upon God's goodness so that now I have the liberty to go do whatever I want? And opponents of Christianity have said you'll never, get, you'll never get true adherence to Christianity. They'll never follow God unless they're forced to, unless they're scared to mess up. And yet what David is saying is, look, this is, this is not about me. This is according to your mercy. And he's not arrogant about it. Look at verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek, and the meek will he teach his way. The word meek means the poor and the afflicted and, and really just the humbled. When you're faced with your own sin and you realize that, boy, I've messed up big time, and God still chooses to show his loving kindnesses to me, and he still chooses to show mercy on me, and he still chooses to be good to me, why would you do that, God? That should not make us arrogant. That should make us meek. And the opponents of Christianity have always said that you'll never be able to uh, uh, I, I mean, if you promote this mercy and this grace of God that he unconditionally forgives, if they, if they just simply ask, I mean, all they have to do is believe in Jesus and ask. That's, that's, that's it. That's crazy. 
some part of that is actually true. That does seem crazy to us. The mercy of God, his, his, his complete goodness toward us when we know our own hearts. We know what we are on the inside and we know what we're capable of and what we do. This is why David is saying, this is not about me earning my way to God. This is about your goodness, according to your mercy, according to your kindness, O God. And, and, and the meek will he guide in judgment. And I, so I come to you humbly, not arrogantly, not presumptuously, but I come to you meekly, dear God. Guide me in thy truth. Guide me back towards you when I stray. Don't let me be arrogant about that, but bring me back to you. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant. Verse 11, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity. For it's great. For thy name's sake, pardon mine iniquity. The other fellow that I was preaching with was a man by the name of John Vincent. He deals in the publics, I mean, he deals in the prison systems. Uh, Brother Ruben's brother-in-law, Brother Roger Knapper, we just prayed for him on Wednesday night. His uh, his brother-in-law is involved in the Rock of Ages ministry with Brother John Vincent. They know each other well. They work together often. Apparently, Brother uh, uh, Napper's leg got shot in a drug deal, gone wrong before he was saved. And through that and through the circumstances of what took place, that God got a hold of his life and, and he realized the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and he has a whole past to look back on as a drug dealer and, and, and as a terrible history. And the people that they minister now going into the prisons, these men who are hopeless and helpless that have no way out, basically some of them, to see God's grace show up in their lives for them to be able to say what, what David says in verse number 11, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity. There's, there's nothing about a prisoner. There's nothing about a man who's so deep in sin that's going to earn his way to heaven. It's all about the glory of God in those situations especially. But it's not like it's just for the prisoners. That's for all of us. I'm talking about that's for every single one of us. When, when, when God chooses to forgive, when you ask in, humble, in, in humility, it's like that's, that's all of God. That's not of me. Yet so many times we're lured by the world. I used to go fishing with Red Sanders. He was a member here years ago, had a little bass boat. He took us out bass fishing one time. He put a real lure on there. It had some spinner bait. It would glide across the top of the service, and it would buzz on the top of the service, and the fish would hear that, feel his vibration, see the stirring of the water, and come up and, and try to bite at it. He used a lizard, a rubber lizard, that he would drag across the rocks across the bottom, and he'd pop it so it looked like that thing was moving across the bottom, and those fish would snag it. It's like the world, the devil puts out this lure, puts out this bait that's out there and kind of teases us with it all the time. And we're constantly confronted with these choices. Do I serve myself or do I serve God? And the world is reeling us in. I was on the way back to the airport yesterday with my friend Ian Corley, and he goes elk hunting. Some of you have done some of that. And he says, I love the elk hunting because you get the, you get the call and you get the whistle that the buck hears and and he says, oh, man, it's a potential mate. So he comes a-running, man. And so they're running their way straight toward the hunter's bow or toward the hunter's gun. And it's like they're waiting for that moment when the hunter uh, uh, comes in and destroys him. And you say, that's what the world is to me. 
And so when I'm snagged by the world's lures, when I'm snagged by the hunter of the devil, then what happens then? Am I done? Do I just finish my Christian life? It's just too hard to keep going. And it's too much to read my Bible and pray all the time. And your objection to Christianity and following God might just be that it's, it's just too hard. And truly, if it is just a list of rules to you that you have to follow in order to stay right with God, then that is going to get too hard. And yet what David is bringing us to is this wonderful, beautiful picture of God that's saying, look, I'm not, I, I'm not just waiting up here in heaven to just zap you for messing up. I'm not waiting for you to mess up so I can destroy you. You're never so far gone. You're never so far caught by the real of the world. You're never so far away from me that you can't return to me. All it takes is just the simple reset mode. All it takes is just getting back on track with me. You might be several steps away from God. You might have taken so many steps down the path, but you're still only one decision away from turning back to God, and that's just that simple act of repentance. That's just that simple reset button. That's just that simple act of saying, you know what, God, I feel like I'm super far away from you. But it's not like God says, well, after a 12-step program, you'll finally return back to my presence. Try to take the first step and then the first step, and maybe in five years you'll be back into my loving arms again. No, 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 no. No matter how far away, you're one decision away from being back into the presence of God. Verse 11, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. I don't know if there's anybody outside of of jail, you might have the, the same level of atrocities that David went to, I don't know. But David said, my sin is great, and he's still bold enough to ask for God's forgiveness. And ask for God's pardon. What Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3 is that it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And, and it's not about my mercies. It's not about me earning my way to heaven. It's about, it's about God just saying, look, I've got, I've got this brand new fresh, of fresh sheet of paper here. I just opened it out of the ream. And we can put today's date at the top of it. And it's like I've got this new list. We've got this fresh reset. reset. We've got this new start. You say, good, that feels really good. But then throughout the day, you mess something up and you think, oh, that day is shot. Oh, great. What am I going to do now? And God says, that's all right. My mercies are new every morning. And, and, and I've, got, I, I've got just not one or two before I'm fed up and I'm done with you. He's like, I've, I've got so much more where that came from. I've got day after day after day of new mercies just for you. And there's a big stack for every single one of you. So that it's like there's, there's no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much sin is there, he says, my grace is sufficient to cover your needs. My mercies are new every morning. That's not a, that should not produce a presumption in us as if it's like, well, now I got liberty to sin. That should produce a humility in us that says, oh, God, I know my heart. I know my sin. I know my flesh. I know who I am. But a true understanding of grace will lead us to our knees and will lead us to say, God, what, be merciful. Continue to be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 4, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. I want to get back to God. I want to stay with God. Verse 12, what man is he that feareth the Lord? 
Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. We talked about numbers, where God led the children through the wilderness by his presence of the cloud. If they, cho- if they chose to ignore God's leading in their life, then they would have been left in the wilderness to fend for life on their own. Without the miraculous provision of God of manna every single day outside their tent. Without the miraculous protection of God. I just read this morning in Numbers, I think, chapter 23, where they're leading through and the enemies are coming out. And God's protecting them. And and the providential guidance of God in their lives that he brings them into the promised land. He makes the walls of Jericho fall flat and he gives them everything that they need. If you say, I can handle life on my own, I I can just... I think I'll be able to handle it this time. What you're saying is it's not about these restrictions that God brings to you. We're talking about the freedom of God, of serving God, the blessings of serving God. Don't misunderstand his goodness and think it's just this restrictive life, just this restrictive path of of serving God that just a few minority Christians might do. No, no, no. The truest understanding of all Christians is to say, thank you, dear God. Thank you for being merciful to me, a sinner. Stand if you would, please. This is just a beautiful picture of God that every Christian can get a reset time on this, on this day. You might, um, you might be at that stage in your life where I've said, I am a few steps away from God. Boy, 542, we're going to sing as an invitation song. See, I might, be, I might be so many steps away, but if you're, if you're honest about that, Brother Ryan, if you're serious about God wanting to accept me, and God being merciful to me, not based on what I have to do, but because of what he's already done, I want to know more about that. I want to understand a God like that, and if that's, if that's true, I'm all in on that. There might be some who've never been saved. You've never been born again. I want everybody's heads to be bowed and everybody's eyes closed, maybe there would be somebody in here, and you'd be honest, honest enough to say, I don't really know how to get to that God right now, but if you have somebody at the church that could at least show me from the Bible what that means to know God like that, would there be somebody in here that say, I, I've never met God like that. I've never accepted God like that. Would that be you? Would you be honest enough to raise your hand this morning and say, yeah, would you pray for me? I, I kind of want to know more about that. Is there anybody like that in here? This is the best time after hearing about him for the last half an hour after talking about it and thinking about it, it's on your mind. God's tugging at your heart. Don't ignore him. Don't think that it's no big deal. Don't think you'll go out of here. Without him, you're lost. You're on your way to a devil's hell. That's not for you. God says, I want you in my presence. and I want to show you my mercy. I want to show you my goodness. Is there anybody that would be, that would be willing to say, I want to know more about that? However, though, there might be Christians that I'd say, you know what, I've been holding on to some things because I feel like I've asked God too many times and I don't know if he'll still be merciful and I don't know if, I know he's the God of first and second chances, but I don't know about 950th chances. I think his mercies are new every morning. I think he's merciful and kind to you and maybe it's time to talk to him. I'm going to pray and we'll sing 542 and you're invited to come now. Our Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Dear God, thank you for your mercy on our sin, on our souls. Thank you, dear God, for loving us right where we are and yet, and yet wanting to teach sinners in the way and, 
and move us along this path toward you constantly. So I, help, I pray that you help Christians grow in you and grow closer to you after being in church today. We pray your help in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This altar's open for you to come and talk to God about that. We'll sing. I've wandered far away from God. The path.